white of a cow's eye. Chapter 12 Maggie entered the room in which Ray was sitting, typing. She jumped up on the table and cocked her head at Ray, who smiled and reached out to pat the magpie on the head, hesitating at the last instant. He remembered the last time he had done that, he had received a sharp nip across his fingers for his misunderstood gesture of friendliness. They were not like cats or dogs. In fact, they were something else entirely. Perhaps, if anything, they were more like reptiles. They weren't animals. Well, they were really mammals, Ray corrected himself. They were like lizards and snakes, he thought. After all, were they not descendants of the dinosaurs? They were as friendly as fish, he decided. But no, dolphins and seals responded to people. Of course, Ray, you idiot. Dolphins and seals were mammals. With a glucose snake that he took from a jar at the desk, Ray played sword fights with Maggie. There were three snake lollies left, all purple ones. Ray hated the purple ones, so he didn't mind it. When, surrendering to Maggie, he let her gulp down the prize. Hello, cocky, Maggie said. Hello, cocky, Ray replied. Then, intending to increase the bird's vocabulary, added, Fuck off, say fuck off, Maggie. From around the corner, his mother stuck her head into the room. She was badly hunched over with arthritis, and in her ancient red nightgown, with her hair a mess of grey curls flapping everywhere and her bottom teeth yet to be put in. She looked a terribly depressing sight. She was just getting up. Did you call me, Ray? No, Mother, I was just talking to Maggie. Are you getting up? His mother made a burping sound and shuffled for the toilet. I've got to do a wee, she announced. Ray watched her shuffle toward the toilet and it saddened him to see her hunched over with so much arthritis that she could hardly walk. Obviously, her hearing was diminishing as well. Maggie, upon seeing her faithful companion, sprung from the table and dropped to the floor. She waddled off up the hallway after her. It was a fairly typical kind of ritual, and it never failed to amuse Ray or his parents. Returning to the text on the screen, Ray discovered he had written down the word dolphin in a sentence that had more to do with the slaughter of cattle than anything. Two weeks of isolation had given him the first draft of his maiden novel, The Slaughter of Sad Cattle. But what had started in a blaze now simmered like an old dying volcano. The feelings weren't there. His source of inspiration had dried up, thanks to Eugene Paris and Donna the slut. They had betrayed him in their own way, and it pissed Ray off to think that it was at this very moment they were enjoying intimate moments in each other's arms. Once all that mattered was his writing, and now somehow even that didn't matter anymore. He picked up the loose pile of the final chapter and spent an hour reading the, and drafting it. Until finally giving up, he tossed it in the waste paper basket where it joined a hundred or so other failed edits. Life seemed so inconsequential and meaningless, and Ray felt as though the years spent writing his heart out had all come to an emotional zero. At the end of the day, Ray felt it was all worthless. Over a cup of tea, he told his mother how he felt, spilling it all out upon her as she drank her black tea and ate her toast and marmalade. When he'd finished, his mother, like the mentor that she was, summed up the meaning of life with a simple sentence. I'll have to iron that shirt again. I put a double seam down one arm. Bless you, Mother, Ray thought. Thank you for the simple things and for the wisdom and the knowledge of understanding that you possess. You should ring Donna if you feel so bad. Ray said no. Donna was still there, firmly etched in his mind, sitting on Paris's lap. And it was all because of this complete lack of understanding of the female species and his culinary habits which had pushed him apart. But did he need to see her on Paris's lap? 
He could have gotten over her much easier if she'd said they were just not suited as a couple. It would have taken time. But Ray was used to hard knocks and rejections. The editors and other literary figures in his life had seen to that. Yet all was not a total disaster, for he had tasted success, and his stories had sold thousands of copies and had made many people happy, while making others horrified. Yes, those fleeting moments of success had been good. Leif Bolio of Crap City magazine, who was not horrified by Ray's stories, nonetheless made a horrified sound through the mouthpiece of the telephone when Ray told him of the current project that he was planning to undertake. Can't be serious, Ray, it's an autobiography. So, Ray said, what's so bad about that? Well, Bolio began smugly, you're, uh, you're not really famous, are you? Meaning? Meaning you're not King or Barker or Koontz, are you? Honestly, Ray, who would read this? What you're saying, Ray snarled, is, who cares less? Exactly, Bolio exclaimed. But my stories, Ray began, must be reaching out and touching somebody out there. Otherwise, who's buying up all the copies? It's certainly not me. Look, Ray, Bolio said seriously. Crap City, Innervisions and all the rest are genre publications. They're all relatively small-time operations. What you're talking about is a book, and that's a different kettle of fish entirely. Books cost money to produce. Publishing houses want to be able to ensure a return on their investment at the end of the day. This book you're writing, in my opinion, just won't be profitable enough for them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Ray understood. I believe in you, Ray, Bolio went on. I think you've got the drive and the talent to make it, but these stories that you write have limited appeal outside the genre magazines that publish them. We're not a worldwide phenomenon. So what am I supposed to do? Diversify, Ray. Dabble. Explore. Try new genres. Build up your foundation so that many people, many, many more people will read your material and who knows how many doors will open then. You're saying this is premature. I am, Bolio said. But we should all write about what we know, Ray thought. This is all I know. Then get out more, Bolio suggested. Get another job. Do something different. Ray told him he was out of work, although he knew of a job at the sale yards shoveling horse shit that he thought about going back for that. Well, don't look at it from the downside. Use this time off to your advantage. I can't, Ray said. It's in my blood. Oh, bullshit, Ray, Bolio scoffed. You can't tell me you enjoy slaughtering animals. It's, it's unnatural. Well, it's sick. There's nothing sick about it, Ray grumbled defensively. It's an honest job. Bolio sighed. Look, you're a good, well-educated man, Ray. There must be plenty of jobs you could do. All I want to do, Ray told him in a measured tone, is to finish this goddamn book. Well, finish the book, Ray, but don't expect to get it published. You'll see, Ray said angrily. Now, Ray, don't get me wrong. I wish you the best of luck, and I'll be the one of the first people to buy a copy. But I really think you're wasting your time on this. Ray was silent. Bolio waited for a reply. When one didn't come, he pressed on with a softer tone. Look at it from our point of view. Say we publish this autobiography of yours. Tell me, who's going to pick it up? Who's going to be interested in your life at the abattoirs? Putting it bluntly, Ray, nobody gives a shit. Still no reply. What about the animal liberationists out there? Think about them. Think about the vegetarians. Think about the Indians. What? The Indians, Bolio said. How many books do you think we sell in India? Ray said he hadn't a clue what Bolio was talking about. His attention was diverted for a second as outside the window some children were running past the front lawn on their way to school. They held books over their head and some of them were crying. A couple of the kids were swinging books in their hands upwards at the sky. Ray had no idea why they were doing this. India is largely made up of Hindus. Now, they see cows as sacred animals. Can you imagine how many books you'd sell in India? Ray was about to reply when Bolio cut the conversation short. Look, Ray, I've got to go. I'm expecting an important call. Oh, well, let me know how you get on and keep sending in those stories. Ray said he would try, but he doubted there would be any more. Sounding sincere, Bolio said, 
I think that's a big shame, Ray. You know, you are our favourite writer. The line went dead. Yes, Ray thought, favourite author. I'm your number one money spinner. I'm your little treasure. But you cut me off like some terminal patient on a life support system whose condition has just been classified as hopeless. From outside the house, Ray heard desperate cries of horror emanating from young children. Investigating, he saw magpies dive-bombing children as they ran past the bird's chosen nesting zone. He rushed to the aid of a small girl who had fallen on the ground. Whisking her in his arms, Ray carried her to a safe distance away from the swooping birds, and as he ran, he felt the air being split apart inches above his head and felt the flap of wings brush his hair. He let the girl go and watched her run to the safety of a bus shelter. She waved a thank you to Ray as he turned and ran back to the house. The aggressive magpies returned, unrelenting in their swooping defence. He passed another child heading for shelter along the way. The child, scarcely ten years old, stopped Ray and pointed to a lone magpie in the distance. It swore at me, the child wailed. What? Ray choked. It said a rude word. That magpie, it swore. The kid's eyes were wide with fright, or maybe amazement. Ray couldn't stop the laughter erupting from him like a burst blister as he ran home, stopping just short of telling his mother what the kid said. She wouldn't have found it anywhere near as funny, and besides, sooner or later, she'd no doubt discover how her pet pie had been corrupted, and who was to blame. The day had blossomed into a beautiful Sunday morning, and with nothing much to do, Ray found himself walking to the bus stop. In his mind, vague notions of mischief hovered, squalls of vengeance buzzed like weary bees in his head, and he felt an irresistible urge to pay somebody a visit. He knew the address, but had never been there before, and it was not a long journey. Yet he packed an Adidas bag with two peanut butter sandwiches, a flask of coffee, extra sugar, and a couple of muesli bars. He also packed his mother's Wiltshire Stay Sharp kitchen knife and a barbecue fork. He dug about in his room for a piece of paper that he had once thrown away, but retrieved it to be used for such a glorious day as this. The bus took him through a couple of quiet towns before stopping at a corner newsagent. Ray got off. He knew this destination was not far from there, and he felt like something to read. Flipping through a copy of Crap City, Ray was thrilled to see his name in print. His story, Killer Kangaroo, featured complete with cover artwork showing a big red kangaroo hopping over a fence with a severed hand protruding from its mouth. This was the most recent issue, but Ray knew the next issue of the quarterly publication was due out in a few weeks, and if things worked out then the carp that ate Paris was going to feature in that new edition. Ray could hardly wait. He almost laid down some money for the magazine, but common sense prevailed as he already had ten copies at home, which was part of the publisher's fulfilment of their contract to supply each author with ten copies of the magazine upon publication. Instead, he brought a chewy nougat bar and asked the man at the counter directions for the place that he was seeking. He was right. It was more or less just up the road. It took less than half an hour to find the place. A small, modest cottage, tastefully designed in cedar. Maturing pine trees not quite tall enough to conceal the place from the streets surrounded the house. Ray made his way cautiously up the mildly sloping pathway to the side of the house. A late model holder was parked in the yard and behind it sat a small faded blue laser with Tweety Bird seat covers. Crouching around the side of the car, Ray crept past the front of the house which sported three long windows with grey curtains and a grey blind. The front door was adjacent to these windows and it was open. It was then he heard the sounds of voices coming from within. Investigating further, he realised the voices were singing, quite out of key. They were attempting an old country song that sounded like it had been played upon a cheap stereo. He huddled up the side of the house where there was only one window, 
probably a bathroom or a toilet window, he surmised, due to the serrated rippled style glass. The window was up slightly and Ray stood up to take a look. Through the opening he could see a woman line dancing, clad only in a pair of bum-hugging denim shorts and an Akubra hat on her head, and opposite her, similarly adorned, Max Mann circled, swaggering like a drunkard to the music of achy breaky heart. So much for his corporate image, Ray thought. He watched them cavort like this until the end of the song. When it was over, the young woman said she needed to pee and headed to Ray in Ray's direction. Ray lowered himself under the window ledge and waited for her to flush. Instead of a flush, he heard her whisper seductively, Come here, baby. Come to mummy. Ah, yes. Mum. Mmm, that's nice. Finally got the better of him. He had to poke his head up to catch the action. At first he saw her face, eyes afire, and a band of sweat across her forehead. He propped himself up to the tips of his toes to get a better view, but in his attempt to do this, his hand slipped from the edge of the window ledge that he'd been holding onto, and he fell backwards, sprawling into the small vegetable patch behind. It was not the noise of the fall that startled the woman, but the sound of the plaster garden gnome as it shattered underneath Ray's weight. Her squeal pierced the serenity of that gentle spring Sunday like some air raid siren from an old 1950s movie. Max, there's somebody in our garden. What? Max exclaimed, zipping his fly. What? There's a, there's a man out there. He's got a black bag. Man bowled through the front door. Ray Bender, what the hell are you doing here? The woman, buttoning a see-through blouse, met man outside. I caught him spying on me in the toilet, the jerk. I wasn't meaning to, Ray blushed. He got up, straightened his clothes, regained some composure. I was, I was just passing through. Yeah, right, the young woman said. Call the police, Carol, man said. He's not welcome here. I didn't invite him. Man picked up a pitchfork from the garden, pointed it at Ray and said, Get off my garden and get off my property. Ray stood his ground. I came to see you on official business. I've got something I want to give you. Carol said, I'll call the police. No, wait, man stalled, slightly intrigued by what it was Ray had for him. What sort of business, Mr. Bender? I want nothing to do with you. Ray took a step toward him, then pulled out a piece of paper from his trouser pocket and began to read. When he had finished, man nodded. Now I understand. Ray threw the piece of paper away. You have no faith, he shouted angrily. You could have ruined my career, my life. Easy, Mr. Bender. Ray, I mean, do you mind if I call you Ray? Ray said he didn't mind. Ray, just take it easy. Crap, Ray roared. You said my story was crap. You listen to that music, yet you criticise my tastes. Ray, calm down, man pleaded. The garden fork shook in his hand like a Geiger counter needle on a Russian submarine. He was losing his nerve in the face of Ray's verbal aggression. You proved me wrong though, eh, hey, didn't you? Ray snorted. You're a prick, man. The edges of man's fake smile ran down his face like stale junket. Hey, Carol retorted, up yours, mate. Max, are you going to let him say that to you? Yes, man said, as the smile returned to his face, and there was a very good reason why it had returned, as Ray crumpled to the ground, knocked unconscious from a blow to the head by an aluminium baseball bat. That'll shut him up, the man with the bat said. He was an old man, late seventies, with hardly any more muscle on him than a scarecrow, and even though the blow had knocked Ray senseless, there was little force behind it. What do you reckon? Man said, Thanks, Earl. No problem. Gotta go finish watching me cricket. Thought you might have needed help. We did, Man said. Thanks again. Earl winked. 
No worries, mate. You're right with him. Reckon he'll be out for a while. Carol said, There's some rope in the bedroom. We could tie him up. Good idea, man said. Then we'll call the cops. Rightio, Earl said. At least now I can get to listen to the bloody cricket without all that raucous shouting. Man and his lady friend waved Earl off. He stepped through the hedge of small pine trees and disappeared through a door in the house adjacent to theirs. An old plump-faced lady was looking through the window. She smiled and waved at Man and the girl. They waved back. A moment later, Ray began to stir. Oh, shit. Christ, who hit me? Ray burbled, straining to sit up. Man pointed the fork at him. Stay down. Stay, he warned unevenly. Ray's vision slowly began to clear from its foggy darkness. He looked around for his bag and thought about the kitchen knife within. If he could have reached it, he may have considered using it on man, but his head throbbed like a stubbed toe, and every movement he made caused his head to spin and pulsate. Carol returned with some rope, but man told her it wouldn't be necessary. I think Ray's learned his lesson. To Ray, he said, You're free to go, Bender. Just don't come back ever again. Ray struggled to his feet. He found his bag and the piece of paper that he was going to get Man to eat. The half-baked notion had failed. He shook the sheet of paper at Man. Some day. Mr. Bender, what exactly were you doing here today? Ray said he didn't know. It was true. He really didn't know. He's sick, Max. Your friend is sick, Carol said with mild concern. He's not my friend. He's just some part-time writer who thinks now that he's had a couple of short stories published that he's bigger and better than all of us. To Ray, he said, You're not welcome here. Go home. If you need to talk to me, business hours are Monday to Friday. You can phone me in my office. He tossed a business card at Ray that flapped to the ground like a dead moth. Ray left it there. I won't bother you again, Ray said apologetically. He shouldered his bag and walked away. He's not very well, Max. Do you think he needs a doctor? Carol asked. Man shrugged. He'll be right. He can get his own doctor. Maybe we should send him home in a taxi or something, Carol persisted. Ray was touched by her concern. I'll be fine, he told them. I'll just catch the bus. Somewhere along the way, Ray had taken a wrong turn. His journey ended in a quiet cul-de-sac behind what looked like a long abandoned bus shelter. The walls were grey with grime over old graffiti and the wooden bench seat was all but completely vandalised so he sat behind the bus stop and drifted into unconsciousness. When he awoke, it was almost dark, and something was wrong. Somebody had been rifling through his bag. His peanut butter sandwiches had been trampled into the dirt. His thermos was missing, as were his muesli bars, but his mother's kitchen knife was still there alongside the barbecue fork. He checked his wallet. Gone, too. At least he was able to find a few dollars of loose change in his pocket, enough for a bus ride home if he could find enough energy to make it out of that street and back onto the right road. And then he felt something in his mouth. It was only a small thing, like a piece of old corn wedged in his tooth. Upon discovering what it was, Ray's temper flared so much his head began to throb again. I'll kill him, he thought. Next time I come back here and shove that baseball bat up man's ass." What Ray had found was a small fragment of the letter that he had once received from Max Mann. That same letter he had waved at the fake critic that morning. Everything else was just a blur, but Ray believed man had attacked him while he was asleep, stolen his items, and fed the letter, piece by piece, torn into small segments down his mouth. I'll get him, Ray thought, spitting all the way to the main bus terminal, but all he really wanted to do was go home to bed. <laughs>